Welcome to The Investigation. I'm Chris Vlasto, Senior Executive Producer here at ABC News. I'm joined by my colleague John Santucci in Washington. And we're joined by a special guest, Greg Craig, former special counsel to President Clinton, who led Mr. Clinton's defense during his Senate trial. Mr. Craig was also the White House counsel during President Obama's administration. Recently, Greg Craig himself made headlines where he was acquitted on federal charges of lying to the Justice Department. We tried to ask him questions about his own case, and he refused to answer. But we still wanted to get his insights on the Clinton impeachment and how it compares to the impeachment inquiry going on today. So, Mr. Craig, what did you do right 20 years ago in the impeachment proceedings? Well, I think the verdict speaks for itself. Um, In a Republican-dominated Senate, uh, 55 votes were for acquittal out of 100. 67 were required for conviction and removal of office. And so I think not only did we maintain President Clinton's innocence and gain the votes of all the Democrats in the Senate, but we picked up 10 votes from the Republicans. So I think there are many lessons to be learned from that impeachment. One of the lessons is that it is possible in a divided country to impeach a president, but to remove a president uh, in a divided country is not possible. It requires bipartisanship, it requires a unity, a consensus that the president should be removed And absent that kind of consensus, it's not going to happen. He will not be removed. But let me ask you, you started the Clinton defense pre-impeachment. The difference that I, we've spoken to others on this podcast. We uh, obviously spoke to Jane Sherburn. We've even spoken to David Bossie. And what they all commented about is during that time, President Clinton kind of walled himself off from the actual investigation into him and went off and tried to do the business of the country and had a whole team with you and others and Mark Bobbiani and et cetera, all kind of working on the defense. In this case with Donald Trump, he seems to be the lead attorney on his own defense. Yeah, I've noticed that myself. Actually, uh, one of the strategies of the Clinton defense was for the president to be the best possible president he could be during that period of time. And he was able to do that. I think one of the reasons that his approval rating remained so strong throughout the period of his impeachment and his trial was the success he was having internationally. He negotiated a a peace agreement between the Palestinians and the Israelis. Um, And on the budget, uh, he negotiated uh, an agreement with the majorities in the House and the Senate for increased numbers of police in the communities and, and smaller class sizes in schools. At the same time, the economy was really performing well. So those three considerations in terms of a domestic agenda that was successful legislatively, an economy that was going well with a budget surplus, along with some international successes, I think all added to the fact that the American public were not ready and did not want to remove him from office. And that's putting apart the fact that um, there was not evidence of of the kind of misconduct that the House accused him of in the course of the trial. And I think, you know, fact for fact, um, 
the reason that we were successful in the trial was that there was not sufficient evidence to support a conviction. And did you have to convince President Clinton to do that? I mean, he's a Yale lawyer. He was a very smart guy. Didn't he want to be part of his defense? I think he understood the importance of him removing himself from it. I mean, I agree with that analysis that one of the reasons that we were successful was his success as a president. Um, And so he had a very good team. It was a dedicated team. Uh, They were an experienced team. John Podesta was the chief of staff at the time, and and Chuck Ruff was White House counsel, and David Kendall was the president's personal counsel. And I think the president had confidence in his team, and we kept in touch with him as to what was going on, and he certainly let us know his views about various issues that came about. Um, But I think you're right that uh, it it would have been a mistake for him to engage in the lawyering of his own case. And I think perhaps President Trump is making that mistake right now. And now when you look at what Congress said, let's get the Mueller report out of this, this new impeachment inquiry. Right. Um, when you see what Nancy Pelosi is doing, I mean, it's it's a unique way of doing this now, though. She's not using the judiciary. It's not a formal inquiry. I mean, do you think she's doing the right thing with that? I do. I, th- I think she's handled this uh, very well. I, th- I think she made it quite clear that she was reluctant to begin an impeachment inquiry uh, and felt that she had to do so because of the impact that the president's conduct might have on the 2020 election. And it would be irresponsible for her not to react to the fact that the president was doing, taking actions, engaged in conduct that could influence um, unfairly, the outcome of the 2020 election. So I think she felt the need to have an impeachment inquiry. Um, And I think she is focused on the issues associated with uh, and the evidence associated with the allegations of misconduct. And of course, uh, once an impeachment process begins, as you know, it takes all the oxygen out of everything else. It's very difficult to get things accomplished in the House or the Senate if there's an impeachment underway. Um, It's very difficult for anything to occur in the presidential campaign, really, that's going to get the kind of attention it otherwise would if there's an impeachment process underway. Um, And so um, it is a a hugely important um, and solemn decision. And that would be the last thing I would say. I think it's important for the House to go about this with the adequate gravitas, it is a serious business to consider impeaching a president and removing him. And the more it is fought out in the talk shows or the food fights um, in the media, uh, the less solemn it is. And so uh, she, I think, is appreciating that and is trying to make sure that uh, it is dealt with the same kind of attention and seriousness as any other, you know, very important issue that comes before the House. It's interesting you say that because, you know, one of the things that people have been saying to us is that it's a little hard to follow this through the way because the depositions that we've been seeing happening for the last three weeks, they've all been done behind closed doors. But it sounds like, just based on your answer there, that's a procedure that you actually respect. I do. Now, uh, she does not have the advantage that... um, the Republican leadership had when President Clinton was being impeached because there's no special counsel that had conducted uh, months and months of investigation, interviews, grand jury, 
I mean, I think you had John Podesta on this show earlier, and if he would ask him, John, I think, he had to testify a number of different times in front of the grand jury. So there was an investigation that had already been conducted in the Clinton era by Kenneth Starr's team. That hasn't happened here. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think one of the things that the speaker is trying to do is to be to be um, to be quick and to be speedy and to be efficient so that this process doesn't hang over the nation for a long period of time. Uh, if you recall, the the investigation of President Clinton went, began, I think, in January. The Starr report was not sent over to the House of Representatives until September. The impeachment hearings in the Judiciary Committee in the House weren't until September, October 1998. So there was eight or nine months mm. that this cloud of impeachment hung over the President of the United States. I think the Speaker is trying to get this accomplished um, expeditiously, and I, I agree with that process. But don't you think, though, one of the things that, that's a little hard to follow is that you have six different committees right now, as far as the House is concerned anyway, they're trying to do these investigations. When you look at the Trump administration so far, they're not cooperating, right? They're not showing up for interviews. We've seen every uh, request for documents that has been sent their way. They've said thanks, but no thanks. Where does that ultimately bring this fight? And is it a mistake, in your opinion, from having dealt with it in your past role for the Clinton White House, is it a mistake to constantly rebuff? Does there have to be a little bit of give or take here? Well, from um, <clears throat> from the constitutional point of view, I think there are certain obligations that the White House has consistent with executive privilege, good faith and executive privilege claims uh, to provide documents. Even if it's not formally an impeachment inquiry, there's supervisory authority that this legislative branch of government has and responsibilities uh, to oversee the activities of uh, bureaus in the executive branch. So I think the, the process that the White House has adopted as of now almost guarantees that there's going to be at least one count of obstruction of justice because it's very hard to believe that their position is in good faith and other than just trying to prevent access to evidence that's pertinent. Um, and but, in, in fact, it may boil down to an issue of fact. Was, for example, was the military assistance to Ukraine withheld at the direction of the president uh, because of a quid pro quo expectation? And I think Senator Graham has focused our attention on that with his most recent remarks mm-hmm. because he has said if that in fact occurred, then it would be a problem for him. So it does seem to me that on that issue, um, the House of Representatives is entitled to whatever communications exist in connection with that action that the president took. Let me ask you, though, too, Greg. Obviously, this investigation is focusing on the July 25th phone call of the president, you know, uh, trying to dig up dirt or asking the Ukrainians to dig up dirt on his opponent, Joe Biden. Do you think, though, that Democrats should also use the Mueller report in an impeachment inquiry, or should they stick to what they have here, which a lot of people in America have changed. A lot of people thought Mueller didn't have the goods, but a lot of people look at this situation and say, okay, 
They can see the evidence clear as day. Do you think it would be bad strategy or good strategy to bring Mueller into it? Uh, you're asking me to, if I were an advisor to the Speaker mm. of the House of Representatives, what I would yes. say to her is I, th- I think she should be focusing on exactly what she is focusing on now, which is whether there, not, there was, in fact, efforts by the president to uh, have a foreign government intervene in our um, political process by investigating one of his political adversaries. And, and I would focus the investigation on that issue uh, and whether or not the president wrongfully used military assistance that had been voted by the Congress as leverage to get that kind of intervention. So uh, let me just finish my my request, my yeah. question from John, because it does seem to me the president's theme with respect to the Mueller report was no, um, a, a no collusion and no obstruction. And what we have developing now is evidence of both collusion and obstruction. And uh, I think that's not in the president's interests, but it, it appears that that's where it's going. But would, you, okay. but would the Mueller report kind of build the case stronger that he has, uh, you know, past practice. Yeah, past practices of obstruction. I mean, even in the sense and and show the nine different cases. Or do you think that could be seen as overreach politically? It's it's going to be litigated. I mean, the issue, the president is not going to... uh, resign. He's probably not going to agree or stipulate to any facts. So the real question is, what issues um, should, in fact, be the issues that are at the heart of a decision whether or not he should be uh, impeached and removed? And I think it is um, it is clearly becoming the focus of this Ukraine conversation, the use of the presidential power in ways that are unacceptable and inappropriate and unconstitutional and inconsistent with his oath. That is where I think we're focused on, and I think it would be a mistake to get the focus elsewhere. Well, I'll just continue, though. How about when the president the other day, some say he was being facetious, some say he wasn't, when he brought up the China idea? I mean, do you think we forgive this president more than we would Bill Clinton? If Bill Clinton had said that, we would have... <laughs> been all over him, right? Do we do we accept the fact that the president says, I'm going to tell the Chinese that? The, the issue is whether he engaged in misconduct, whether he engaged in wrongdoing, whether he abused the powers of the president presidency. If, if, it, if it comes out that he, in fact, had the same kind of conversation with the Chinese and used the same kind of leverage and abuse the powers of his office the same way with the Chinese as he has apparently done with the Ukrainians, that would be an appropriate article to include in the articles of impeachment. But that one comment, it's sort of an invitation to have an investigation of that. But I don't think it means that just by making that one comment, he is engaged in wrongdoing that rises to the level of an impeachment. But could it open the door for them to ask for all his phone calls with the president of China? Um, I, I think they'd have to have more okay. to do that. You now have a you you now have a, a, a two whistleblowers as well as the summary memo description of the conversation that he had with the president of Ukraine. So there is, I think, sufficient evidence of the president's abuse of power in that regard 
to warrant further investigation. I don't think you, I, I'm not aware of evidence in connection with the Chinese to to warrant that, but there may be some. I'm I'm just not familiar with it. A lot of evidence has come in, mm-hmm. uh, as you know, to the Select Committee on Intelligence that has not been available to the public. Let, let's go back a little bit, if we can, Greg, to just how the White House that you worked for dealt with impeachment. I, I, I was pulling up some of the. Um, uh, testimony that you and your colleagues gave uh, to the Senate when it was the Bill Clinton trial. And I found it interesting that Charlie Ruff actually labeled uh, the charges against uh, President Clinton as witch's brew. And we see President Trump right now, the phrase that he likes to use uh, almost every other second is witch hunt, witch hunt, witch hunt. Do you think that the branding and communication strategy that the White House is attempting to uh, employ works? And what would you say in that respect was the biggest lesson you took away from 20 years ago? Um, Well, you'd have to leave it to someone else to judge whether the president's strategy is working. It seems to me that every week he is um, adding more fuel to the fire of those people who are thinking about removing him from office. So I think the strategy that he's adopted over the last three or four weeks um, has not worked for him to date. Who knows? It may, it may work in the future. Um, the, you know, the greatest, I guess, the greatest um, lesson, there, there are so many lessons to be drawn from the Clinton impeachment. I think I've already uh, cited a couple, but one is that when you go down the impeachment road, there is very little that's going on in the public domain that is as important Um, When you go down the impeachment road, it is possible to have an impeachment in a divided country, but it's, I think, impossible to remove a president from office uh, unless there's developed a consensus or a bipartisan recognition that he should be removed from office. And I guess the third lesson that I would draw from the experience 20 years ago was that it is a very solemn and important occasion that requires gravitas. I mean, not everybody has to be Barbara Jordan, but she certainly added a level of significance and sobriety and importance to the deliberations that um, the Judiciary Committee had during the Nixon era that I think was appropriate and um, was appropriate then and is appropriate now. Let's take a quick break and we'll be back with more of our conversation with Greg Craig. Welcome back to the investigation. Greg Craig, let me ask you, one big difference of actually even from the Nixon era to the Clinton era, both those impeachment inquiries and, and the trial of Clinton were in the second term of office. One dynamic that's different in this one is we are entering, there could be an impeachment trial at the exact same time people are casting votes for the Democratic candidates for president. Don't you feel, don't you worry a little bit about that, that, that in some ways we're seven months away or from then the voters are going to decide anyway? Well, I think that's one of the reasons that uh, the speaker is being so expeditious. Um, and I, I believe and I think I um, am in right in understanding that they are going, the House uh, is going to try to resolve this issue um, sometime with before the end of the year. And it's my understanding that the leadership in the Senate is already organizing and having discussions about having a trial uh, in December. 
a three or four week trial in December. So it does seem to me that your concern, which is a legitimate concern um, and one that I think was was dominant and was responsible for the speaker being so reluctant to go forward with an impeachment proceeding when she was receiving enormous pressure from inside the caucus to do that. I think um, that concern has been overcome, as I said earlier, by the by the equal concern that the misconduct that's at issue here has to do with the trial, I mean, the, the election itself, and that it just could not be ignored. And so I think the speaker is is well advised to try to do this swiftly. I think she has a challenge uh, when she and the House ultimately decides to hold hearings to educate the people, the American people, about what the issues are, explain why this conduct is in fact worthy of impeachment, why it is an abuse of power. And that's a real challenge, not only just to present the evidence of wrongdoing, but to explain why this conduct rises to the level of an impeachable offense. It's one of the most serious things the House of Representatives can ever do. But now i got to ask you one other question. Obviously, a character in this play, for lack of a better term, um, <laughs> is, is Rudy Giuliani. And you, Rudy Giuliani obviously was a U.S. attorney, Southern District of New York, esteemed career. What, what do you make of his role in this? Um, I scratch my head. I under, you know, it's, it's difficult to to sort out. Uh, obviously, there was a, an, a desire on his part to serve President Trump in some respect, but I don't know enough the details and circumstances about what he did and who he did it for and whether he was compensated and how he was compensated and what kinds of relationships he had with the State Department, with the White House, with the Justice Department to be able to um, comment on that. I do believe that it is... Um, a subject worthy of more investigation, I understand that it's being investigated. You, know, you obviously had um, an extensive relationship with the Clintons before you went and worked for Bill Clinton on the impeachment probe. Uh, you had gone to school with them at Yale. Uh, Rudy and Donald Trump uh, have known each other. They've been friends since 1988. Um, obviously, now he serves the capacity as his personal lawyer. Y- you know, how did you, prior to joining the inside team, how did you conduct yourself with the Clintons? They were obviously friends, but how do you make sh- make sure at that point in time you never uh, crossed a line with a friendship now that your friend was in a powerful position? Well, I was never a social friend uh, or very much of a, a political um, colleague of either the president or the first lady. Um, I was a, a, a lawyer who practiced uh, law happily in Washington, D.C., and I had very little to do with the White House. Um, in fact, I was working in the State Department at the time. John Podesta called me up and said, we need another lawyer to throw on the pile. And he said, people are considering asking you to come over. And uh, so I would have, you know, I don't think I saw the president and the first lady when they arrived in Washington, D.C. from Arkansas, but once a year, maybe at their Christmas party. And that was all. So the, I had none. I had none of that a sort of problem-solving relationship that Mr. Giuliani appears to have with Mr. Trump. So what he has right now is that there's a a growing investigation, as I'm sure you've read, um, out of the Southern District of New York related to Rudy. Uh, Some of the Ukrainians that uh, he was working on for his independent investigation into the Bidens um, have been charged. Some of them are going to be going for their arraignments later this week. Um, Rudy is being investigated for a FARA violation. 
if you were counseling Rudy, what would be your advice to him? Um, I just um, one thing that I would do would be to make sure not to give advice when I don't know exactly what all the issues are, or what his jeopardy is, or what the um, the evidence establishes. So I am reluctant um, in the world of the public domain publicly to give advice to Rudy Giuliani as to what he should be doing. And so respectfully, I would decline that. <laughs> but but, but, I, I, but I would, say, terms, one, no, I would say one thing, though. Yeah. When you're in a hole, I would stop digging. So that's just a general application of principle that I think is, is a wise principle. But couldn't his criminal, I mean, or the investigation that's going on with him affect the impeachment proceeding? I mean, in the sense of if, if he got indicted... Wouldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't the hope then maybe he'd flip on the president, right? I mean, the same way Michael Cohen flipped on Donald Trump. Wouldn't that be the hope of prosecutors to do that? So wouldn't it affect the impeachment inquiry or well, not? I think you're mixing up what the Southern District of New York is doing with what the House of Representatives are doing. They're two different processes. Uh, it's unlikely that the um, Southern District of New York is going to be engaged in plea bargaining with Rudy Giuliani uh, to the benefit of an impeachment proceeding in the House of Representatives. That's just not, that's, I think that's apples and oranges. Okay. No, but I just wondered if, if, if it would delay a process. I mean, because he's going to be a, a witness. Isn't he a witness in well, the impeachment proceeding? Uh, and and that, that's the only thing I was thinking. If, if he's called to be a witness... For the impeachment, he's going to maybe decline or fight it, right? I think under most circumstances, whether or not he's under investigation in the Southern District, Mr. Giuliani is likely to decline or fight uh, testifying in front of the House. So that would go up to the courts? Likely. It depends on what the basis is for him to decline. I mean, if he asserts an attorney-client privilege, then there would have to be some... uh, taking of evidence to establish the attorney-client relationship. Um, if, he has, if he claims an executive privilege, then he would have to present sufficient evidence to claim that he was functioning um, as an advisor to the president uh, on national security issues that, uh, whose conversations were protected. Um, he might invoke um, the Fifth Amendment, uh, and declined to testify on that ground in front of the House of Representatives. But those are the only three grounds that I would believe he would have some kind of legal basis to assert. Uh, but I think my prediction would be that he's likely to assert one of those. Now, what advice would you give Donald Trump right now? <laughs> if he keep, called you. You keep wanting me to give advice to people. Well, you, you're experienced uh, in these matters. Uh, I, You know, uh, I, I have... Um, the same thought uh, that I had when you asked me to advise Mr. Giuliani. Um, I think uh, the obstructionism and the uh, reluctance to respect uh, constitutional processes and institutional rights is doing enormous damage to him. It may help him with his base. That's a political consideration that I certainly am not... um, equipped or uh, prepared to, to comment about. But if he, is, if he is pursuing a path that seeks to be vindicated with the Congress, I think the choices and decisions he's made so far 
uh, are not helping him. Wouldn't you suggest that he should listen to his lawyers? I don't know what his lawyers are telling him, so it's hard for me to say that. Um, I always – look, gosh, Chris, every time you're talking to a lawyer, I would always tell my client, listen to your lawyer. <laughs> so when I'm advising other people that uh, are seeking legal advice, I would also say it's always well advised to listen to what your lawyer has to, has to say. We were uh, mentioning before we sat down with you, um, this is obviously the first interview you've done uh, in several months uh, since uh, everything you had gone through. Um, what have you been up to since uh, leaving the Obama administration and obviously the, the trial you just went through? Well, I had a really a great practice of law for, for many years from 2010 to 2017. So I practiced law, and then uh, I've retired. And let me just tell you, there's a, a lot to do when, um, when even at my you know, age of 74 years old, there's plenty on my plate. It keeps me busy. Thank you for joining us. Thank you very much. Happy to be here. That's all for us for this week. And I want to thank my producers, Trevor Hastings and Caitlin Fulmer. And we'll be back next week for another edition of The Investigation. 